the Benefits Corner podcast. Thanks for joining us. With each episode, we'll be speaking with business owners, thought leaders, and top performers. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information as it relates to employee benefits, Canadian healthcare, and running a business. Now, we should say up front that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those shared by the Benefits Corner nor its host. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's show is brought to you by Aria Benefits, modern advisors backed by experience and technology. Now here's your host, Robin Bailey. Welcome back to the Benefits Corner Podcast. Hope you're having a great day. Really happy to be sitting with Dr. Angus Franklin. You know, part of my business and having the podcast, I get to hang out with some very cool and very smart people. And today's guest is no exception. I'm just going to go through, Dr. Franklin, your resume. It's quite extensive. So Dr. Angus Franklin is a graduate of University of Toronto, has a BSc in honors, he is an MD, a PhD in molecular genetics, a postdoctoral fellow in infectious diseases, is a Canadian certification in family practice, fellowship in the College of Family Physicians of Canada, and has been in multiple publications, uh, journals such as Stain Technology, the American Review of Respiratory Diseases, Genome, Canadian Journal of Microbiology, Infection and Immunity, Experimental Biology, Plant Physiology. Among other things, Dr. Franklin is an award-winning author with The Lathe of God, which is one I've actually read, and that won the Reader's Favorite Gold Medal winner 2010, the Canadian Christian World Guild winner 2010 gold and is currently working on Pangea Project When Storms Collide uh, and that has already won the reader's favorite finalist and the manuscript on that is to be published. Dr. Franklin is currently in family practice as Mississauga for 20 years affiliated with the Credit Valley Hospital and Trillium Health Partners. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. It's been yeah. nice being here. Very, very nice to have you on and you and I have had a few chats outside of uh, the podcast and uh, I, I thought for my listeners it'd be really interesting to have you on a lot of my listeners have heard me talk about pharmacoeconomics pharmacogenetics and the insurance carriers especially in early 2018 have been talking about this a lot and promoting it as part of their platform and i think the carriers are very excited about it the feedback that i'm getting from my listeners who are other advisors who are clients of mine prospects and just listeners in general is there's quite a bit of confusion around pharmacogenetics, exactly what it is, what it means. And it's interesting, when you were, I knew you were coming in today, TELUS Health put out a, an article yesterday talking about uh, pharmacogenetics is, uh, testing is really gaining steam and there is the number of pilots uh, going on in the industry. So, Dr. Franklin, I was hoping where we could start with this is maybe right at the beginning. So, what is pharmacogenomics or genetics and... Maybe you can talk about, as we've talked about a little bit offline, how does this relate to personalized medicine? So the best way to look at this is through, I think, a couple of scenarios. What I think it will do is try to come up with something we can do in the office. Okay, And Robin, I'll get you to play basically the role of the patient. Oh, sure. Okay. Yep. And I'll basically play the doctor in this case. Yep. And what I have here, unfortunately, is a 45-year-old gentleman who's got a very strong family history of heart disease. Okay. His dad, unfortunately, died when he was about 54, 55 years of age. Yep. This poor gentleman basically realized that he's got all these problems, you know, got into martial arts, was really active, really fit, until he had a couple of accidents. He's hurt his shoulder, he's hurt his knee. He then kind of gave up a bit. And of course, what goes on with that is he's, you know, gained a little bit of weight now. 
Now his sugars are going up. Blood pressure is going up with the reflux. He's uh, he's getting problems with stomach issues and yeah. so forth. Okay. So what we'll do is have you you know play the role. Let's do a little role play. Sure. Okay, yeah, that's a great it. idea. So good morning, Mr. Bailey. I hope you haven't had any problems in coming in to see me today. Well, you know, Dr. Franklin, no problems other than usual, you know, traffic issues getting here. The reason I came in today is to review my health issues and determine, you know, what I can do to improve things. And I'm 45 now, so of course, you know, gain a little weight. I'm, I'm want to get to join a gym and and, and get fitter. And uh, but I'm, I've been having a lot of problems with my knee and shoulder. As you know, I trained in the martial arts for years, and you know, I used to be very active, but I stopped everything due to that pain. And I've already been told there are no surgical options at this time for you know the shoulder or the knee. I can't take aspirins because of my stomach issues, of course. What's worse, not even Tylenol three helps me. So what can I do? You know, my dad had a heart attack at age fifty. I certainly don't want to end up like him. Yeah, so let me look at your chart. Hmm. I can see your concerns. In the past few years, since you stopped being active, your sugars and cholesterol have started to climb, and I see that you don't like cholesterol medicines, as they make you achy when you take them. And with your family history and your recent weight gain, uh, you do run a really high risk of heart disease. Okay, so what can I do? Well, I do agree with you getting back in the gym. You may have to work through the pain, however, as I know you really don't like taking Percocets and other medicines. You will just have to kind of do what you can do. With respect to your medicines, there are a few newer cholesterol and acid-reducing medicines on the market. Maybe you can try them and see uh, which one works for you. Okay. Uh, thanks, Doc. Uh, I can only try to see what I can do at the gym, I guess. Uh, I'll see you back about changing you know, my meds. Hopefully, the exercise will get my sugars down so I won't have to take them anymore. Yeah, so we'll stop there with that scenario. So the question, of course, Robin, is how did you feel as a patient coming in and speaking to a doctor who's giving that kind of spiel? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm leaving a little disappointed and certainly not feeling any better. I, you know, I think if I'm coming out of a scenario like that, I'm going to a doctor because I certainly don't have that kind of training and know what I should do. And out of that scenario we just role-played, I think I'm leaving there feeling the same way. And I'm feeling I'm going home to tell my spouse or my partner, yeah, I guess I'm going to join the gym and hope for the best. So to answer your question, I'm not feeling all that great about it. And I agree with you as well. Yeah. I mean, shoots, if I were you, I'd probably change doctors. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a very typical, from what I hear from feedback of my friends and colleagues, that's that's a typical engagement that you see out there. So I think that I think that scenario is quite real. And the unfortunate thing about it is with meds nowadays, we don't have any real directions. Most of it is just simply trial and error. So we try something, see if it works, and keep you know changing with a little bit of right. you know, medical experience and see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to scenario two. Now okay. in scenario two, we're going to a bit differently. Now we're going to move into a little bit of the pharmacogenetics okay. and something called personalized medicine. We really start to kind of focus on what your personal needs are. Oh, okay. Okay, so All let's right. go for it. All right, let's try so, that again. Let start. So, Mr. Bailey, it's good to see you today. So what can I do for you? Hey, Doc, I've come in for some medical advice. As you know, my dad had a heart attack at the age of 50. And for years now, I've been doing everything from reading right to doing martial arts to keep fit. But two years ago, I hurt my shoulder and knee. And I was told there was nothing that can be done. I dropped out of martial arts because of the pain, obviously. Uh, in fact, I got mildly depressed, to tell you the truth, and began to gain a lot of weight on top of it all. Uh, I've noticed that my sugars and cholesterol are slowly beginning to get up there, and those statins you put me on only made me you know, achy and worse, so I stopped them completely. I can't take painkillers such as aspirin. They just, you know, they eat up my stomach dis- despite taking the stomach meds. It's strange, Doc. I- I've even tried Tunnel 3, but they don't do anything. Despite this pain, I mean, I have to get back in the gym. Uh, I got to do something. 
What can you do to help me? Well, if we work together, I definitely think that we can improve things for you. But we'll need to do things in steps. Now, you are now hitting 45, and with your family of heart disease and the fact that you haven't done any exercise for a while, I think that we should kind of start slowly. And that is, we'll start with a stress test. Oh, okay. Okay? I just want to make sure that you, you, know, you can safely tolerate the exercise that you want to do. Oh, that sounds uh, great. But what about the pain in my stomach? Those, those pills you gave me didn't really work. I don't even want to talk about the statin you put me on for my cholesterol. Now, those are really good questions. Now, you may be having problems with your medicines for a good reason. Many people do. Sometimes your own genetics can affect how a drug works in your body and stop it from working as it should. We actually have a way to test for this, and it's called pharmacogenetics, or pharmacogenomics, depending on you know, who you are. But I prefer the word pharmacogenetics instead. Come on, is that true, Doc? You pulling my leg? That sounds a little bit unbelievable. Yeah, a few years ago, I guess it was unbelievable. But now, basically, it is, it is a research tool which is now moving into everyday life. So yes, it can help us choose the right medications for you that are personally suited for you. And hopefully will reduce the chance of you having side effects. Are you for it? Uh, I'm for it, but is it affordable? Yes, it is. And it might be covered on your insurance, but we can look into that later. We also have to look into something else as well. I think you really need a personalized trainer and some more physiotherapy in order to get you back into a good exercise program, which is geared for your needs. Hey, thanks, Doc. You know, I got to be honest, uh, I had almost thought there was no help for me, but I guess I was wrong. This sounds great. So perfect. So now, how did you feel on that second? Well, you know what? That's an area I feel a lot better about, right? Because I, I feel as, as a physician, one, you're looking after my safety because one of the things you said, hey, let's do a stress test right away to make sure before you get back to the gym, let's get a bit more physiotherapy to make sure your muscles, joints, tendons uh, can accommodate that, that type of work. And let's look into some, as you started to talk about, some personalized medicine that is going to uh, make sure I can get, you know, avoid some of those things that are perhaps in, in my family history. So uh, I think I'm leaving that scenario feeling a lot better about my uh, interaction with my uh, physician. And I would almost dare call it a partnership. I would see that, that relationship with, the, with my physician as a partnership because I do feel coming out of that scenario hey, this person really cares about my health and, and my longevity, and uh, I would be happy to go home and tell my spouse about that interaction. And that's the whole point of this. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we, we need to look at a couple of red flags as well. Okay. One of them is when I get basically a patient coming in, hitting mid-40s, saying that he wants to get back into exercising, I always ask a key question, why? Obviously, he's got his dad, you know, as for sure. fear. But is there something else? A lot of times people will have a little bit of little bit of chest pains or they don't feel right and they, their answer is let me get out there let me exercise let me get rid of the problem yeah so that's why the stress test in, in those circumstances is a good thing to do and i would imagine in your practice that is that's a very common thing you'd see especially with men in their in their 40s i mean you know as as we approach our 40s and even towards our 50s you know it's it's a lot of men go through what whatever people like to call their midlife crisis and of course i'm probably guilty of that that's why i'm in the gym all the time because you don't want to face father time and you add a little bit of love handle. So I would imagine you see this quite often. And I do. And the other concern is depression. Oh. And here you are basically trying to do something, you know, you realize it's not going anywhere. You, you kind of look long-term and realize, Hey, am I going to go with this down the same route as my dad? Can I do anything about it? And if I right. can't, okay, what is going to happen? I mean, mental health. And I think it's another key thing for, that we have to look into is making sure that your mental health is there and protected so that you can get on with your life.
Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a really important point, and, and maybe we can dig into that uh, further as, as we get further into our conversation, because I think mental health is becoming a, a bigger issue, but it's certainly getting a lot more attention, especially from the carriers, and they are uh, bringing new tools into to help address some of that. So, well, let's let's keep going. We've talked about a number of things. You, you've talked about personalized medicine, but we're also using the term pharmacogenetics. Can you maybe start with defining personalized medicine for me? Well, personalized medicines where the medical decisions, practice, and interventions are really tailored to the individual. Okay. Okay. And personalized medicine, we're also bringing the genetics as well. So in other words, we're using your unique genetic profile also to be personalized for you as well. Okay. And then, you know, when I'm in my travels and, and talking to insurance companies and, and clients, of course, I'm hearing pharmacogenomics or genomics and pharmacogenetics. Are those the same or are they just used interchangeably? They are interchangeable, but when you think of pharmacogenomics, it really defines your whole set of genes. In reality, we're really not there yet. We're still basically isolating ourselves to about 180, 190 genes, which we're looking at at this point in time. Okay. So I really, personally speaking, would rather pharmacogenetics, but you could use either. Okay. 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 Good clarification. Now, let's focus on it. So what basically is pharmacogenetics then? So what we're doing is we're focusing on the understanding of how genes affect the individual responses to medications. Okay? And what's happening here is different people have different variants of the genes, which basically affect the, you know, how drugs are metabolized in your body and, and other things. But unfortunately, it's still in infancy. It's got a long way to go, and it'll only get better and better and better as time goes on. Okay. So when we look at drugs now, drugs basically have two processes. One is what the drug does to the uh, body. Okay. Okay. And the other one is what the body does the drug. So pharmacokinetics is what the body does the drug. And pharmacodynamics is what the drug is doing to the body. For example, in this case, is, if it's what the body is doing the, to the body is lowering blood pressure, changing your cholesterol, that aspect. Now, with pharmacogenetics, we're just focusing on the pharmacokinetics. So what we're doing is, is looking at how the body basically metabolizes the drug. Okay, gotcha. So I think we should look at now who can benefit from pharmacogenetic testing. Okay. So any ideas on that on your own? I'm thinking people with family history. I'm thinking people who are running into issues, you know, that 45-year-old who's, who's running into issues. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, my parents are from England, and they grew up in a time my, my mom was born in 1941. And when I ask questions about the history there, it's a little blurry. Our grandmother uh, passed away at uh, quite an early age of 67 from, from cancer. My dad's father, we don't know. You know, um, there's some there's some speculation. So in terms of and I think it's a little bit easier for people who are born in Canada and their parents they can trace back their, their relatives over the last couple of years. But for me, not knowing much about my grandparents on both sides, it's a little bit of a mystery. So I look at my own parents. OK, what's what's going on with them? OK, am I is that what I'm looking into? But that longer history is missing. So I think someone like myself would certainly benefit from that. And actually, there are other aspects of pharmacogenetics that you can get into, not pharmacogenetics per se, but looking at your genetics in terms of whether you carry any diseases, mm. okay? But we'll look at that at another time. Okay. So let's just go back then. So who might benefit? One is, of course, people on multiple medications, because you can get a lot of drug-drug interactions if they're on these. And of course, if you've got people with different variations in their genes, you're going to even see even more reactions. Now, you have to look at people with multiple medical conditions as well. So what's happening, of course, is if they've got a bunch, a bunch of problems, as time goes on, they're going to need more and more medicines. Right. And you're going to get more and more interactions coming. Okay? Right. So those people would benefit. 
I've seen people, for example, where you've got a patient with persistent and severe side effects. And you ask, well, why is this happening? You know, I may go to drug, to drug, to drug, and the same things are coming up. Uh, the question is, what's going on here? Okay, that's another reason for basically doing the, doing the testing. And then you get people which just don't respond. For example, like, you know, you and you, you're taking the codeine for your pain. Not happening. Why is that? Is there basically, do you have some kind of medical variant which is preventing that from happening? So is that, Dr. Franklin, is that a reality? There are people that just simply will not react properly, uh, properly, maybe that's not the right word, but simply won't get the normal use that someone else would get out of that drug. And the answer is big time. Okay. One I can quickly mention here now is codeine. Codeine is a drug basically which is metabolized into active ingredients. Okay. One of them is morphine. Okay. So if you, in fact, unfortunately don't have the right gene and you've got a variant which doesn't produce basically the morphine, you're in trouble. Mm. You're being sitting there now, just had your operation, the doctor's giving you some codeine, and you're sitting there screaming out in agony. And yeah. He's giving you more codeine, you're getting more side effects, and uh, what the hell, what do you do now? And they're all going to look at you thinking, God, you must be a drug addict or something. I'm not giving you anything more. So would anyone, let me ask you a question. If you're going in for said surgery, uh, would anyone do any advanced screening prior to that surgery to say, hey, we want to make sure Robin wakes up from the surgery and he's not in an in- intense pain? Or is that just, is it more of a reactive system at this point in time? Uh, more of a reactive at this point in time. Okay. Where it might be a little bit more proactive is if you told me, hey, you know, my brother had the same problem. Or my dad had an issue with coding or something right. like it, then I would say, hey, you know, maybe something's going on. That would be the person basically okay. to look at. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting on uh, just going back uh, a couple of minutes when you were talking about um, multiple medications and multiple conditions. And of course, I've seen that in my own family. My dad's 84. And every time I go up to visit dad, of course, he's got this, this <laughs> massive pillbox that he's got. And you look and, and I have to think, how are all these drugs interacting with each other? And just as, as you've started to talk about here, you got to wonder what are the effects of those are any canceling each other out. So I think where this is going with pharmacogenetic testing is going to be very helpful going forward. Because you're right. As we get older, the natural tendency is to be on more and more medications, right? So very interesting. Yeah, it gets complicated for us as well. As I add more and more meds on, because of the interactions, I'll notice your blood pressure will be out. And yeah. your pressure will go up. And so what happens there is I have to keep adjusting the other medicines at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So we've talked about who might benefit from pharmacogenetic <laughs> testing, but, but why do it? So that's a good question. So really, we have to look back at some of the data that's coming out. So we find out that adverse drug effects account for 6.5% of all hospital admissions. And 30% of those, believe it or not, are in the elderly. And over 50% of these admissions are considered to be preventable. Wow, that's huge. So when we look at costs now, just take a look at some of the costs. Adverse drug effects is estimated to cost in Ontario $13.6 million annually. If you look at the total of Canada, it works out to be about $35.7 million. Yeah, that's huge. It's a lot of money. And most of it's due to the polypharmacy and, again, you know, drug-drug interactions, which some of them could be looked after. Right. So when we use more and more drugs in, in an individual which are competing uh, in terms of pathways of elimination and metabolism and so forth, we can expect to see more and more problems occurring. Right. Now, do you remember being told not to eat grapefruit, uh, you know, years ago? I remember my, uh, my dad's physician saying that with certain drugs, there was something about don't eat the grapefruit because it affected something with that particular drug. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Grapefruit actually affects the same enzymes in your liver, which, which basically break down blood pressure medicines, cholesterol medicines. So right there, years ago, we were already seeing the signs. 
Hey, there's a problem here okay. Okay, with the metabolism. So now what we do is either A is use a drug which doesn't use the same metabolic pathways as grapefruit or you, you know, try to work around it. Okay, so let's talk maybe just because I always like examples and I think you've done a really good job of, of you know, showing us a couple examples. But can we talk about maybe some real life examples that where we'd see this? Okay, let's try one, the proton pump inhibitors. Those okay. are the ones that we use um, basically to cut the acid production in people's stomachs. Okay, so very common. Very common. Yeah. Reflux disorders, people with dyspepsia, you know, you go to a party, for example, have a few beers, you come home, your stomach's killing you, yeah, what do you take? Right? Yeah. So you could take a simple antacid, and we've got the stronger ones, for example, which, is, which are proton pump inhibitors. Things like Tecta, they're number number on the market. Now, these ones, unfortunately, proton pump inhibitors are metabolized through, again, the cytochrome uh, systems, okay? And what we found out is 10 to 20% of individuals are non-responders to PPIs. Wow. Which is high. So that's, now, that's a high number. Yeah. yeah. So if you're not responding, say, for example, you have an, an ulcer, and I give you one of these drugs, I'm expecting two weeks, hey, you're going to be great. Right. All of a sudden, you come back to me in more and more pain. A couple things can happen here. One is you can actually lead on into a full ulcer, which can be serious. Yeah. Okay. Or B is I'm stuck wondering if there's another disease process going on to your cancer, there's something else going on. So it can lead to a whole kind of other problems. Sure. Let's try another one. Warfarin. Now, warfarin, I think most people have heard about it. It's yeah, it's I've heard A lot of people call it rat poison. Oh, is that right? Well, that's where it comes from. <laughs> is that okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> but now we're using rat poison in people, and a lot of people's patients will come to me. I don't want that stuff. It's rat poison. Yeah. You know, I have to kind of say, no, it's a medicine too. You know, it's got its place. Okay. The problem with warfarin is we prescribe it from all the way from one milligram all the way to 40 milligrams. It's a, it has a very, very narrow window of use. If you're too high, you have major bleeds. If you're too low, it doesn't work. Okay. So say, for example, you have a very strong history of uh, strokes. I'm trying to prevent the stroke. So I got to keep you in the, in the right range. I go high, you can have a major bleed, a GI bleed or a brain bleed or something else. If you're too low, you can have another stroke. So we really need to keep that basically right in the zone. Okay. Unfortunately, there are a bunch of genetic variants which interfere with the breakdown of warfarin. Okay, you're speeding it up and slowing it down. And again, it's, it's critical for us then in terms of trying to know how to prevent that from happening. So this is a very good case where pharmacogenetics comes in. Okay. Codeine we've already talked about yes. as a pro-drug, so I won't go much further there. I've been saying I feel sorry for you if you have a problem with it. Yeah, no. Because if, if you don't do pharmacogenetic testing, you won't know until some maybe too late. Exactly. Another one is statins, which a lot of people take to lower their cholesterols. A large number of people there, basically, it just doesn't respond to them either. Or they get toxicity because the, their enzymes, basically, are overdriven. So what's happening is it's, had, it's being broken down too quickly, and they're getting more and more side effects, especially those muscle aches that you're talking about. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now, here are some scary ones. Plavix. That one I've heard of. Yes. That one's basically used in people who've had heart attacks and they put stents in. Ah, uh, okay. Okay? So what it's doing is it's preventing a clot taking place with the, with the stent is. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, again, have the uh, cytochrome enzyme, which interferes with the breakdown of it. So again, what happens here with these people is it's not working. So without any kind of testing, you would have no idea. You're thinking, I've got a stent. Okay, I've, you know, I've pushed off the, the big threat there. Now I'm on a medication that's going to keep yeah, me safe. Yeah, and I, I, feel, I feel safe, right? So you get yeah. this false sense of security that yeah. you're being looked after. In fact, is it's not working. Yeah, that's, okay? that's scary. So two, three, four, five weeks from now, bang, you're going to end up in hospital wow. if you make it back to hospital. Yeah. Okay? So again, it has a very strong implication there. Another scary one is tamoxifen, which a lot of people have heard about. Tamoxifen, sure, yeah. again, is one we use where you've had breast cancer. And once the breast cancer is, is removed, basically, it's used basically to prevent further occurrences by blocking the estrogen genes. Now, a lot of people basically have, again, enzymes there, 
okay, which blocks the tamoxifen's effect. So here, you're on a drug again, thinking that you're basically being supported, yeah. and it's not working. Wow. Okay, pretty sad case here. Very the only gain, the only way you'd know is if you just if you do the testing. Yeah. And then another group of medicines is with mental health. The majority of medicines using using mental health are all affected by the cytochrome system, and with that the the way basically these drugs are metabolized. Okay. So here you've got a poor gentleman with schizophrenia who's bipolar. You put him on a med. You have to wait literally time for it to work. He's gone four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. The poor guy's still in hospital. They're uh, seeing things. And it's not working. Now what do you do? Do you go through 15 medicines with him, find one after the other, you know, while he's still crazy yeah. in hospital? Or can you just focus here, get the right one from right from the beginning? And that scenario that you just pointed out, we, we've seen that in my world on the employee benefit side. So someone goes off work, you know, suffering with some mental health issues. And that that period of time that they're off is really probably longer than it needs to be if you know, there's some testing working closely with their physician to be able to pinpoint this is the drug that's going to make, make sense and get this person back to a productive citizen right. and back to work sooner. Because we see that over and over again, these people that are on a very long periods of time that they're off work. And you're right, it's, it's it looks like it's due to, hey, does this drug work? Nope. Okay, let's try this one. Okay, now let's try this one. So I think I think you're right. I think the testing would certainly help with things like that. And it's devastating the family. Can you imagine having a family member who's in the hospital and you try meds and it's not working? Yeah. Okay. And the cost to you, because of course he's he's not working. Your family needs the money. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the psychological issues in terms of the emotional aspects. Yeah. Absolutely. I've got a question, and it, it is a little bit selfish, but hopefully other some other people can uh, relate. Again, you know, I look back, and 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 I'm and I'm fascinated with history. Um, I, I had a previous podcast guest on, and we were talking about history. But one of the areas I'm fascinated in, with history is ancestry. So I talked before about not knowing about our history in terms of grandparents and, and things that they passed away of, but longer than that, does ancestry have an effect on you know any of this, any disease states that we're looking at, how we metabolize uh, these drugs, that sort of thing? And the answer is yes in a okay. big way. Okay. Okay. In different ancestral groups, you get different variances as well in these uh, metabolic enzymes. So for example... Five to ten percent of people with European African uh, ancestry are very poor metabolizers of uh, one gene, which is CYPD2D6, which again is used actually in a lot of their uh, psychological drugs. Oh, okay. Okay. A lot of people from Black ancestry as well. A lot of their blood pressure medicines are affected. Okay, through the same things. So again, we have to be very, very careful as doctors in terms of you know where you came from initially, in terms of what your background is. You know, I never would have thought about that when I'm visiting a physician, but I guess that's in in your practice. That's yeah. part of, you have to say, hey, here's who I'm looking at. Here's their ancestry. So I've got to keep that maybe in the back of my mind as I'm as I'm working with this person. Now, what's going to happen as well is since this uh, this whole field of pharmacogenetics is in its infancy. As time goes on, we'll get more and more batteries of information. Sure, we'll yeah, be able to, we'll, yeah, we'll be able to find out what other genes actually are being affected as well. Right, right. Interesting. Okay, so, I mean, we've uh, we've dove into this uh, pretty well so far, and I'd like to keep going if you, if you have the time, mm -hmm. Dr. Franklin. Can we maybe talk about some risks, maybe some benefits, and, and any, any potential barriers out there right now? Well, the benefits we already know about. I mean, trying to reduce the drug interactions and the toxicity. Benefits, basically, cost, well, it's not that expensive. Again, it depends on who you are. I mean, uh, I booked this up, and it's for most people, it's between 400 and 600 Okay. And I've been told it's, you know, it can be actually cheaper. 
Yeah, there's, and, and for my carriers that are listening, if I don't have the information uh, right, just let me know and, and I will uh, clarify it on uh, on LinkedIn. But as far as I know, RBC Insurance is offering it for $299 uh, as long as you remember. Uh, I know some other carriers are offering it as well. I just don't have the information offhand. So if you want to pass that on to me, you can, I can certainly uh, put that information out either on the next podcast or on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's great. So how do, uh, how do we do it? So one is, of course, the concerns. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of clinicians don't know a lot about this. So they have to get on board as well. So in other words, doctors have to be trained okay, uh, to help okay. deal with it. That's one aspect. I mean, it's, there's a lot of interpretation in terms of when you're looking at the, the results. Okay? Saying so, I mean, there can be misinterpretations as well, and that's to be taken into consideration as well. Two is, a lot of doctors' offices now are all moving into electronic medical records. There's catches there. A lot of these record systems basically aren't adapted to be able to, to, be able to look at this. So again, it's going to take a little bit of time to get right, all okay. the uh, you know, nuts and bolts all sure. worked out. Yeah. Okay. Now, on the other side is, you know, what are the insurance implications of testing? So in other words, basically, you as a person are looking at, basically looking at this to help you in terms of uh, what drug I should be on. Right. Okay. But the flip side is, how does the insurance agent look at it? If they see, for example, that you have a problem with three or four drugs, do I really want to take you into my program or not? Right. Yeah, and that's and you know that's funny that you bring that up because that that was a concern. I was having a conversation with someone, and they said, "Well, why would I want to do genetic testing with an insurance company where they could turn around? Hey, you found something. Now I go to get an individual policy, and you have this information. Are you going to decline me for a life insurance policy? So, can you talk about that for a second? Because I know there are some privacy laws, and, and I know the insurance companies are being very careful. They're hiring third parties to conduct all the information but it's a valid concern obviously when people are talking about this and i think it's a good concern i do too now there is a canadian bill s201 which was passed in parliament in march 2017 and it's meant to protect individuals from genetic discrimination by insurance companies so in other words they can't use this information uh, against you but you got to be careful here if you're using a canadian company they're basically governed by this law if you use a company which is not canadian Okay, totally different rules. Mm, good so point. you have to pay very close attention to who the company is and you know where they're acting. Good point. Yeah. Are there any ethical considerations? Well, one ethical you haven't asked me, which is interesting, is who can get it? Can I go up to my kids and have them all tested? Mm, yeah. Okay. And the answer really is as long as the child is aware and is conformed, understands the process, it could be any age. There's no age limit in terms of who can be tested. Okay. Okay. That's one of the most important things to know. The next question, okay, is a concern. A lot of these markers that we have, there are a lot of diseases which are actually basically attached to them. So you may have a particular marker problem which may be attached to a certain disease. Do you really want to know about that? And I yeah. hear a hush because, of course, oh my God, I yeah, didn't yeah. know that I was, you know, attached yeah, to Parkinson's you, disease you've or got me, you've schizophrenia. Got me think, you've got me else. thinking about it now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. That's a that's a question. What does that mean if you do find out that it, there's something there? How much stress is that going to cause that person? And it depends on the person. Yeah. Some people might freak them out. You sure. know, and a lot of times, well, I tell people is, hey, yeah, just because you have a marker for it doesn't necessarily mean it will happen. Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, there's some situations in genetics where it doesn't penetrate. It's called penetrance. So what happens is you can have a gene, it may penetrate not at all, or you can have full penetrance. And you can see it with Parkinson's disease, for example, where you've got dad, for example, who's got, you know, he gets a disease at 45, 46. Right. And you get somebody who gets a disease much later, and they'll get much milder. 
same gene, just basically the penetrance is, is okay. different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I can't guarantee just because I say you've got this disease in your genes does not necessarily mean it's going to happen. Okay. But I mean, it's a comforting thought. Yeah. It's something to think about for sure. Right. Yeah. So the question then is, if you're worried about these things, can I go up to these uh, agencies who do the pharmacogenetics and ask them, hey, I don't want those certain things in the panels. In other words, you know, remove those certain tests so yeah. I don't have access to it. Or if I do get access to it, can you block it so I don't see it? Yeah. It's, and also, I don't want my insurance agency seeing it too. It's, it's you know? a good point because I, uh, I hadn't thought about that. I had thought about it from the perspective of, hey, I just want to make sure... I know with my physician, hey, here's the warning signs. I honestly don't know how I deal with that. I, I would think that'd be a little stressful if you had a, you know, you brought Parkinson's and uh, if you knew that was that was on the table for you potentially. So I think that might cause a little more stress than I'd be willing to deal with. Well, this this is great. I think we I think we did a really good job of covering off, uh, you know, pharmacogenetic testing and personalized medicine. What would you say in conclusion? What are the main points that people should take away from this? So I think the key thing is who should get it still. Okay. Okay. And it really is somebody who has medical problems or on multiple medicines. I don't think it's yet ready for just anybody. I mean, if you came into me perfectly healthy, no family history, I wouldn't push you to do it. Right. I mean, obviously, if you wanted it, yes. You know, I get people coming to my office, for example, saying, I want a colonoscopy. And they got no family history, you know, I mean, not in the risk groups yet. And I'll say no. But, you know, something I wouldn't suggest it. But if they really wanted it, yes, I'll let them have it. Sure, yeah. Okay. So it's on that level. So back to it. So multiple medications, multiple medical conditions. If you're having uh, a problem with a drug with severe side effects and we don't understand what's going on, there really aren't any alternatives at that point in time, I think that would be a, an excellent choice. Makes sense, okay? yeah. Or you're starting a new drug which you already know there's some major problems with genetic variances. And I think that's a very, very good place to do it. Yeah, I think so too. Well, Dr. Franklin, this has been fantastic. I've got one last question for you because, you know, I was, I was reading through your bio and, you know, you see a PhD and your physician and an author, of course, multiple time author. What does someone like yourself do for fun when you're not, you know, deep into writing a book or talking about genetics or running your family practice? What do you do for your fun? Um, my fun's dogs. Oh, okay. Most people kind of get crazy with me because I have three. Yeah. Okay. I've got a, two Rottweilers and I've got a, I've got a Border Collie. Oh my God. And basically, that'll, that'll keep you busy. And they do. And yeah. they basically keep me active as well. Yeah. Because you get out there, you got to throw the Frisbee, you know, you got to do all kinds of stuff with them to keep active. And that's the, the main thing. And of course, with my young kids, you know, they've got their sports. I'm always on the go. Yeah, it's you know it's it's funny that you that mentioned your dogs keep you active. Yeah. My wife and I have had dogs for for the last twenty years, and it is so ingrained into our daily habit to go for a walk. And I said to my wife, I said, I don't think we'd be walking this much without the dogs, but they kind of force you to do so. And it's nice because you get to know the neighborhood and your neighbors, of course. So they keep me social, which is kind of nice. Well, this has been great. Appreciate uh, having you on the show. So we're going to wrap it up there, folks. Thanks for tuning in. As always, love hearing your feedback. As always, this podcast will be posted up to our website, www.ariabenefits.ca. Of course, you can listen to us on Google Play. Google has actually introduced a new podcast platform, which is really good iTunes and any of your favorite podcast catchers. You can always reach me at rbaileyatarebenefits.ca or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on the Benefits Corner.